Hey, happy Wednesday, everyone. Today we're going to talk about someone so full of themselves that they threw themselves four parties to celebrate cheating. I'm going to tell you the story about a Roman emperor whose vanity was so great that he gave himself four, four triumphs. It's funny, it's interesting, and uh, wow, we can learn from it for sure. Last time we talked about the Roman triumph. It's a big parade. It's expensive. My message for that podcast was that it is a forum for praise. We talked about how leaders would use this idea strategically because a forum of praise projects strength. But we wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we didn't cover an example of a time when someone abused this forum of praise. And it backfires spectacularly. Enjoy. It's Lucas, and this is my study of the ancient art of leadership. I call it Lead Like a Roman. Let's make it happen. The year is 67 AD, and the ancient Olympic Games are electrifying the air in a colossal racetrack. Thousands of fans cheer, their eyes fixed in anticipation as the chariot racers line up. Among them, a daring foreigner, Not just any foreigner, but one obsessed with the valor of ancient Greek heroes. This foreigner yearns to bask in the same fame and admiration that they once did. The athletes have trained using four horses each, nimble enough to make it around the racetrack with speed and agility. They stare at the foreigner, who parades out in a large, unwieldy chariot with ten horses. The foreigner's name was Nero. And he was no athlete. He was a Roman emperor. Let's back up for a bit and talk about the competitiveness of the games. There are parallels to our own time. You see, many Greek cities at the time had their own games, starting from hundreds of years before Nero. They'd play their own games, and there was this intense competition about who could have the most prestigious games. Eventually, all of these city games were formalized. They were grouped into regional games and kept on a very rigorous and disciplined schedule so that people could prepare and athletes could train. So the Olympics from the city of Olympia were still, even at that point, the king of the games. They were considered first among equals. So if you're like me, you might want to know what did these people actually win? What was the incentive to, to, to make this happen? It's a good question. So there were no prizes at the Olympic Games aside from a crown of pine branches or dried celery. But what the victor did receive was glory. Glory from their home city when they returned. Celebrations, awards, and parades were held by rulers of the city to ensure that praise was given where praise was due. So it could be really lucrative. Like in Athens, for example, 6th century BC, 500 drachmas were given to Olympic winners. 100 drachmas for winners in the regional games. On top of that, and this is pretty cool, the athletes received free meals for the rest of their lives in City Hall. Other cities offered pensions and tax exemption to athletes. Such lavish gifts made sure the athletes were both incentivized and paid. 
It was like this for hundreds of years, until Rome started to micromanage what had been a very disciplined system. The Emperor Nero was a huge Grecophile and wanted the games to be all about him. So he began touring around Greece and inserting himself in the various regional games. He ordered that the strict game times for the regional games be changed and stuffed into a single year so that he could win them all in one year. And he ordered that the Olympics should be delayed by two years just so that he could participate and win those as well. I can't even imagine how frustrating it must have been to train for the big moment just to have it delayed on a whim. So Nero finally got his moment in 67 AD. He showed up at the Olympic Games. Nobody wanted him there, but nobody dared say anything. So knowing this, let's return back to our chariot race at the racetrack. Olympic officials watched, seething, as the emperor and his ten horses wait to start. They're powerless to confront Nero. His competitors, who'd been training for this moment for years, watch the emperor fumble amateurishly with the straps. At last, the race kicks off and the crowd roars. The chariots march forward. Dust flies up into the air and the horses tear down the track at high speed. As they approach the first corner, that's when the drama unfolds. Nero's chariot with his 10 horses starts to lose balance. The more nimble competitors with four horses, they get out of the way. Nero's chariot is way too unwieldy. And Nero, as out of shape as he is, is too unwieldy for the chariot. In a heart-stopping moment, the Emperor of Rome comically launches like a ragdoll, legs up in the air. He hits the ground and he rolls. His gilded clothes now covered in sand and manure and who knows what else. The amphitheater fell into shock. People didn't dare laugh at him, but I can imagine that they might have wanted to. Instead of being disqualified, Nero was instead declared the winner. In fact, throughout his entire time at the Olympics, he won every contest he competed in. The athletes who trained, you know, to get that pension and those free meals, well, they weren't exactly happy. If they got nothing else out of that entire time, at least they got to see the most powerful man in the Western world take an L. Back at home, the Romans, who considered the Olympic Games sacred ceremonies filled with spiritual and religious significance, were quite offended. The Roman elite didn't like the public appearance of an emperor in the Games, especially as a participant in the chariot races. When he returned from the Olympics, there was no parade or celebration. So Nero decided to give himself a celebration. He gave himself multiple triumphs, starting in Naples, ending in Rome. He got into the very chariot that Augustus had used, dressed in Greek clothing, with the Olympic crown on his head. Unlike typical triumphs, there were no military victories. No land was taken, no treasures were looted. There was no glory. No, no, no. Not just a man and his vanity. And everybody knew it. You know, when we look at these things from a leadership perspective, we can joke about them. But in this case, he offended people so badly 
that this was one of the last things he ever did. Mere months later, Nero was assassinated. His name was physically chiseled and scraped out of the stone commemorating Olympic winners. This emperor with no athletic prowess, driven by vanity and a romanticized vision of Greek heroism, finds his ambitions crashing as spectacularly as his chariot did. So what's the message here? We talked last time about the triumph being a forum for promoting excellence and values. We talked about the ritual of praise being strength. In this example, Nero breaks trust. When you're not trusted, excellence is artificial. It's not real. People don't believe you. And when it's not real, whether it's micromanaging excellent people or lying or embellishing, it's not strength. It's a weakness. Join me next episode where I'm going to give you some ideas about how to use the concept of a formal ritual of praise to project strength. The Romans did it. People throughout history have done it. How can you do it today, right now? I'll tell you what I've done and give you some ideas so that you can use it for yourself. You can go out there and crush it. Got an idea or a comment? Write to me, leadlikearoman at gmail.com. Follow me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are streamed. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.